And we're in a series right now called Blockbusters. And I'm not going to, for, for time's sake, I won't go into all of the, 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 the description of it, but understand this. Simply put, you go to Blockbusters because there's big stuff that happens. When you go to the movies, you're looking for the explosions. You're looking for the big moments, the tear-jerking this and that. It's, that's what makes a Blockbuster a Blockbuster. It's big and it's impactful. But I want you to hear this morning that the greatest blockbuster that you will ever participate in, ever look at, ever read about, ever see, ever experience is in this beautiful thing we call the Bible. Now, most of you didn't bring a paper Bible because most people don't use paper Bibles right now. They use digital ones. So it was going to feel goofy for me to talk about the Bible and hold my phone up. But the reality is this. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, you have blockbusters of truth that God can use and will use to completely transform who you are. And that's what we're after. That's what I'm after. Just because I'm a pastor does not mean that God does not want to wreck my life afresh. And so this morning, we're going to pray, and we're going to jump straight in. Amen? Father, be with us as we, as we get into the Scriptures today, as we look, God, not just, to, not just to give you lip service today, not just to have a few songs or a nice little preach and teach, God, but, but to truly be changed and to truly be transformed. And God, and for those who have already begun the process and who have already, during worship, were, were getting just moved in heart, mind, and soul, and action, everything, God, we thank you for continuing even now what you started. God, would you break through our hearts today, or even the hard places? God, those places we don't recognize as being hard, that we don't even know, we don't see it. God, let your spirit move and break through today. Amen. Turn to the book of Acts in uh, the New Testament. The, the, the beautiful thing about blockbusters is they're filled with these big moments, are they not? You know, whether it's Lord of the Rings, you've got Frodo who's, who's deciding whether or not he's got what it takes to get the ring to Mordor and basically destroy evil. You've got Rocky Balboa, only some of the greatest blockbusters of all time. He's trying to decide whether he's got what it takes to train again and fight his nemesis, whether it's Mr. T or whether it's the Russian. Oh, Rocky IV. Come on now. You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. Rocky IV, I mean, I mean we're going to have some real ministry after church if you've not seen Rocky IV. Okay. You've got Neo with the Matrix. And he's got this decision moment of whether or not he's really going to believe and whether he's going to step out and be who everyone is believing that he actually is and use the power that he has as Neo, the chosen one, to fight evil. Every blockbuster has a decision point, a tension moment. There's literally books designed for script writers that are framed, literally titles just like this, How to Write a Blockbuster. And it is literally point by point how to create tension 
and how to create moments of a hero or heroine decision that will grip the viewer like you and me. Well, the good news is, is the Bible isn't just entertainment. But because it's the inspired word of God, guess what? It's people's lives like you and I, which means they are filled with drama. They are filled with lots of drama. People jacking things up. People not being very good at what they're trying to do. People struggling to believe. People struggling with doubt. People struggling with healing. People praying for this, asking for this, needing this. And this morning, we're going to jump straight in with a tremendous decision point in the book of Acts, and it's Acts chapter 10. We're going to have a clip from a blockbuster film that was out recently. I believe God's going to speak to us a bit this morning. Acts chapter 10, 1 through 6. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. So Cornelius stared at him in fear, which is what I would do too. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. What? So you got a guy, he's a Gentile. He is not Jewish. He's a centurion, meaning he has a command of at least 100 soldiers. He's a part of the Italian regiment, and yet is a follower of God, at least to the best of his ability. And he's generous, and his heart, there's something that has happened in his heart. Whether he fully knows the truth or not, we don't really know. But his generosity and his heart towards God has done what? It's gotten God's attention. And so God moves in a vision and tells him to do the unthinkable. I want you to send some guys to Joppa. Sounds like, like a, that sounds like a Star Wars city. The Joppa. And I want you to bring back Peter, who, by the way, is Jewish. We're going to get back to that in just a minute. Acts 10, 23 through 29. So I'm going to paraphrase what happens in between these, these moments. We've got Cornelius. Cornelius has a vision, and Peter has a dream. And Peter's dream tells him to be basically ready for some guys to come because God is about to rewrite the script on some things as it pertains to faith. Okay, my paraphrase, I was very generous in that description of what just took place. The next day, Peter started out with them. So these guys come, they knock on the door, he welcomes them in. He's uncomfortable about it because after all, he's Jewish and they're Gentile. 
But God had already spoken to him in a dream, and so he was willing to go. And so here we go. The next day, Peter started out with him, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. My man Cornelius just just invited all his folks. His friends, his family. Doesn't even know what's about to happen. But he knows God is at work. Peter went inside, found a large gathering, and he says to them, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or even visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. I ask why you sent for me. I'm already emotional. I haven't even like started preaching, preaching yet. You guys, just follow dots for a second. You got a guy, Cornelius, in the Italian regiment doing his best. Trying to be faithful. Yet he doesn't know up from down. Not really. But God moves in a vision to him and tells him to send some guys to Joppa and bring back a man who's got something he needs to hear. And that guy's name is Peter. So this centurion sends probably some of his best guys, probably some of his most trusted people. And they do their little hike. They do their deal. They, they get down to Joppa, and they, they knock on Peter's door. And, and Peter has had a vision as well. And so he goes with them, and they make it back to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius is so ready. He's so expectant. He's so in faith. He's so, he's so in anticipation of what God is doing that he's already invited his friends. He's already invited his family, and the house is packed. And Peter walks in, and Cornelius sees the very man that God had spoken to him about in a vision. Cornelius falls at his feet. Get up, Cornelius, I'm just a man. And then Peter does something interesting. He reminds everybody of the law. I want you guys to know something. It's against the law for me to be here. (laughs) But I'm willing to make an exception because God just messed me up a couple days ago in my house. But I want you to hear, there are some massive, massive decision points that are happening in Scripture right here that have implication in 2017, the year that you and I are living in right now. 
Now, before we get going any further, I like in this series, I like to show a movie, a clip that helps reinforce or illustrate what we're talking about today. And so I want to share a, a clip of a movie that Amy and I saw recently. That was, uh, it, was a, it was a powerful movie. It's, a, it's about three women. One of them, her name is Mary Jackson. And she went to work at Langley in 1951 and began to work with NASA. She was an, a just amazing mathematician. And so she was invited to begin working literally on some of the aeronautical engineering. I don't know. I don't even know the verbiage to use here. It's beyond my pay grade. But understand, she's, she's beginning to work, but she can only go so far in her career. She can only go so far in her work with engineers because she doesn't have a degree in engineering. Now, this is the 50s. She's African-American. And so for her to get her degree, she has to do what no one else has done before. And that is petition the courts for someone who was African-American to be able to attend a white university so that she could get her degree and work with these engineers engineers, so we could safely send astronauts into outer space. This is the movie called Hidden Figures. Watch this clip. Hampton High School is a white school, Mrs. Jackson. Yes, Your Honor, I'm aware of that. Virginia, still a segregated state. May I approach your bench, sir? Your Honor, you of all people should understand the importance of being first. How's that, Mrs. Jackson? Well, you were the first in your family to serve in the armed forces, U.S. Navy. The first to attend university. What's the point? I plan on being an engineer at NASA. But I can't do that without taking them classes at that all-white high school. And I can't change the color of my skin. So I have no choice but to be the first. Which I can't do without you, sir. Your Honor, out of all the cases you're going to hear today, which one is going to matter 100 years from now? Which one is going to make you the first? Out of all the cases you're going to hear today, out of all of the decisions that you're going to make today, which one is really going to matter 100 years from now? That is a profound question, church profound. I'm not trying to be dramatic this morning as we share about this, and I'm not forcing emotion up as I talk about it. Nor is this entire message going to be about racial divide or racial injustice, although those are some very great and worthy conversations. The conversation that I believe the Holy Spirit would have us have today 
is to answer this question of how you are living your life in such a way that it actually has impact and significance, not just for today and not just for tomorrow, but 100 years from now. Can you live your life in such a way that it actually makes a difference? The answer is yes. I love the story of Mary Jackson because she does what no one has done before. And yet it's actually a very, it's not the same. And I want to be careful not to make it apples to apples. It's not quite apples to apples. But we're seeing a first moment as she's petitioning the judge to be able to take classes at the University of Virginia, evening classes at an all-white high school. And he does what no one has done before him. Smacks that gavel and he makes it happen. And so you have someone asking and you have someone willing to believe and you have someone willing to knock and you also have somebody who's willing to come and meet on the other side. It's powerful. It's not inherently biblical. There was nothing necessarily God. I don't know if, if either were believers. I don't know if anybody was a Christian. I don't have a clue. But I know something godly was produced from it. And that in this moment for the first time in Virginia history, a measure of equality was granted. And it was an amazing breakthrough. And Mary Jackson went on to be the very first African-American engineer, not only for NASA, but in our entire country. By the way, if you haven't seen Hidden Figures, you should. It's an amazing story and an amazing movie and very, fairly accurate. Now let's make some parallels here. Because let's just call it like it is. Anytime a pastor stands up to talk about race, things start getting really uncomfortable, don't they? People start, the temperature starts to rise. You know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So let me pull the awkwardness out of the air for a second. We've got issues in our country. I think we can all agree with that. We got problems. Are they the exact same problems that we had 50 years ago? No. But are there still problems? You better believe it. And yes, there are appropriate responses. There are political responses. You have the freedoms to do some of the things and participate and, and make your voice heard. And all of those things are worthy. But those aren't the things that God has called me to speak about this morning. What God is addressing in us today is how to live your life in this moment. Not just in the moment, but in a way that actually has significance for your family and your children and your children. Children. As I choke. And Mary Jackson postures a tremendous question. Which decision you make today is going to have significance a hundred years from now? Let's back it up and actually make sense of this in light of Scripture. We have a Roman centurion. 
part of the Italian regiment who is a Gentile. If you don't understand the racial tension, Jews and Gentiles hate each other. And it's against the law for them to do anything together. They have different places to worship, for goodness sakes. Even if you're worshiping the same God, you have areas where if you're a Jew, you get to go here. But if you're a Gentile, sorry, you're going to stay over here. What does that sound like? Sounds like segregation. It sounds like the water fountain for these people and the water fountain for these people. Does it not? And so Jesus... God, the Holy Spirit, moves the vision of Cornelius. Cornelius has to have the courage to say yes, to do what other people aren't doing. And I promise you with great fear and trepidation and anxiety, he sent men to get a Jew and to bring him back to his house. And on the other side of the fence, you have Peter, a Jew, who knows the cost and who knows that this isn't common practice. In fact, it's against the law, but yet I see God and I hear God telling me to do this, so I'm going to go. I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to make a decision. And whether or not he knows it, whether or not Cornelius knew it, the decision to obey God with the little, the significant, the big would have a ripple effect that would last for hundreds and even over a thousand years. Peter gets to his house. He knows the law. Cornelius falls at his feet. He doesn't even know if this guy's an angel. And Peter says, I'm just a guy. Stand to your feet. And he proceeds to share the gospel before you hear that, I want you to understand the gravity of this because for the first time, we have Jew and Gentile in the presence of the same God. Truly, in a worship house church type moment. And if you don't know, and maybe you're new to faith, or maybe you're just here today, and you don't know much about Christianity, and these weird terms like Gentile, what does that even mean? I got you. I get it. If you are not a Jew, guess what? You're a Gentile. That's a biblical term. Fine. Just bear with me. You're not Jewish. And so... We have a historical moment taking place in Scripture where Jews and Gentiles are coming together and they're worshiping the same God under the same roof. And today, as of right now, Gentiles, Jews, other faiths, other, other, not other faiths, other, other, uh, ethnicities, we are coming together, regardless of skin, to 
worship the same God. This God that we worship isn't something that is just exclusive to the Jewish race. No, God was opening it up and he was trying to help Peter understand you have had this all wrong. When I came to bless Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12, my promises to him were that he would be blessed so that he could be a blessing that the entire world would be able to experience the goodness and graciousness of the one true God. Somehow it got all jacked up. And God is righting the wrong. And at this moment, moving forward, and we've had lots of problems. We've had lots of historical church problems cultural problems. But it doesn't change the historical reality of what takes place in this moment because two people were willing to say yes. Two people who didn't look alike. And they come together and they worship God. Look at this. Actually, before, before I even unpack this any further, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an illustration of, of this idea of, of your decision-making and the decisions that you make, whether you're a young professional, whether you're dating, whether you're married. Sometimes we read a story like this and we think, well, I don't have decisions like that that I'm making, but that isn't actually true. There's a church in existence right now in the United States. It's called Old Trinity Church. It's in the state of Maryland, and guess when it was started? I'll help you out. 1675. It's still a church today. As in never in the history of that church starting has there not been some kind of church gathering within its walls. And just recently they launched a church that's over 300 years old they started a, a project called the Good Neighbor Project, which was their effort to begin reaching out to their community more effectively in Maryland and showing people the love of Jesus. This is a church that was started in 1675. And now we're getting back to this question that Mary Jackson began to ask. What decision that you make right now can have impact and significance 100 years from now? Oftentimes, the things that you're doing, you don't realize can and will have impact 100 years from now. Most of you aren't presiding over court cases that will have national significance. I grant you that. But you know what? When these guys were putting bricks together, plastering, laying foundation, laying rock, I don't know if they were realizing the impact that that church would have 300 years later. How they're living and what they're doing has and had significance. The church that I grew up in, my grandfather helped to build with my dad. 
And we don't think about these things. When we, when we talk about coming together, and yes, I'm going to touch back on racial divide in just a second, but I want to open this up to not just decisions regarding race and racial tension and injustice, but the very matter and manner in which you live your life in the day-to-day decisions. You don't realize it, but your decisions, small and big, have significance for years and years and decades to come. You see, if your life consists of just waking up, getting your paycheck, coming home, putting your kids to bed, and waking up and doing it all over again, I promise you, you're missing much of what God has for you in the day-to-day significance of your life. What if you took stock of your life right now? You examined the relationships that God had given you and the church that you are a part of, the job that you have, the children that you've been given, the status in life, whether you're single, whether you're dating, whether you're married, whether you're divorced. And rather than living a microwave, drive-through, fast-food kind of life that, that prizes instant gratification above everything else, what if you examined your life and the decisions you are making and you said, God, how can I live in such a way that your kingdom is established and that generations who are coming after me will benefit from it? See, when Amy and I answered the call to move here and start High Point Church, we did knowing that there were some decision points that God was asking us to give our lives to. One of them was to see a church that was multicultural and multi-ethnic begin to come together in the great city and suburbs of Atlanta. And most people don't realize that people who are white rarely have anybody of a different color ever in their home for a meal. It's never happened. And guess what? People who are black have rarely had a white person in their home for another meal. What if, what if we as a church said today... This week, this month, God, I want my children, I want my family, I want something to be built and birthed that spans for generations. What if I said yes to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and I engaged people in relationship, maybe in ways that I'm just not naturally comfortable with? Would it make a difference? for generations it just might 
What if you looked at your spouse and you chose to love them the way Jesus Christ loves the church, and you decided above all else that you were not going to quit, that you were going to fight, that you were going to fight, that you were going to fight. Do you think that you and your marriage before God might, that you staying together might have a ripple effect for generations? You say, well, I'm divorced, what now? Okay. What if you loved God and your children and chose to treat your ex-spouse with integrity and honor and spoke well of them? Do you think that that love for Jesus above everything else might have a ripple effect in the generations to come? Do you think your children will see how you treat someone that you got in a fight with divorced over will it have significance yes it will what if you chose with your checkbook and your pocketbook and you said God I am giving with everything I've got and I'm asking that this generosity would have a ripple effect for generations to come who is to say that our little infant church right now that people will be worshiping at a high point church a hundred years from now. You see, what we're doing and what you're doing and how you live your life has significance, church. It matters that you put God first. It matters that you worship Him. It matters that you do the heavy lifting of, of hearing God and being led by Him and being pushed out of your boat of comfort to do the work of the gospel. What if you chose to forgive? What if you chose to be baptized? What if you decided to fight addiction? What if you repented of your sin and turned to Jesus? Really turned to him? Would it shape things for generations to come? I believe it would. Acts 10, 37 through 38. You know what? We'll skip on down to verse 44 for time's sake. Peter begins to share the gospel in this house with Cornelius. Gentiles, outsiders. While Peter was still speaking these words, he's just preaching in a house, talking about Jesus. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And the circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out, even on the Gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God see what Peter and Cornelius in this moment together these moments of decision these moments of great significance whether they knew it was significant in the moment or not doesn't matter And you need to see that and hear that about your life, whether it feels big, 
whether it feels like an Acts chapter 10 or a courtroom moment with Mary Jackson, it doesn't matter. You live your life with faithfulness before God, believing for God to use these moments to impart and change and to provide significance in the world in which we live. And this room, that room, these people come to faith. They start following Jesus, the first Gentiles that we know of in Scripture. And a church gets birthed, and this church goes on, and it grows. And we see a Gentile church that has Jews in it from Joppa. And guess what? We are living proof of that moment right then, over a thousand years later. Don't tell me that the decisions you make to follow God don't have a ripple effect. Oh, they do. As it pertains to race and relationships and reconciliation, forgiveness, following Jesus, your salvation, giving, everything. The great news this morning is that Jesus made the decision to die for us. The greatest decision of all time to die for your sin and mine so that we could make a decision to live for him. How you live for Jesus matters. It's not just about you. You're never the end user in your relationship with God. Never. He's always doing and always birthing and always breathing life into something that will spawn for generations to come. Father, be with us. Lord, thank you. Lord, even as we we hear these words, even haunting us at times, living our life in such a way that, that it's a blessing for generations to come. God, would you help us to do it? God, whether it's building our church and seeing our community changed. God, help us to see beyond the moment that we're in. God, whether it's marriage, whether it's our relationships, whether it's our parenting and our children, whether it's relationships with exes or people that we have strained relationship with or bosses or coworkers, God, would you help us lead and live our life in such a way, God, that it's a blessing for generations to come. God, would you breathe the fire of the Holy Spirit inside of us? Would you surprise us, Lord? It's in your name.